Let's pick up where we left off. Take your Bible, turn to the book of Acts. I just want you to mark some things in there. Now remember, their doctrine is that um, three things concerning tongues that must happen. Uh, Let's see if I can find it again. Okay, according to most Pentecostal believers, tongues are a a sign, or I would say the sign, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can fake it. I got to missing Brother Wayne Shirk uh, when I was putting this together. He would sit over there. In fact, I got that Second Amendment plaque over there just for him. Because he would sit there and he would, because he could see both doors. And he would sit there and he was armed to the teeth. And if he saw anything that looked like trouble for us, he was in a position to do it. He would pull up his uh, tablet and watch the camera feeds from our security cameras. And... um, but he, it cracked me up because if I said, uh, Wayne, won't you speak in tongues for us? Boy, he'd start reeling out stuff. And I mean, it sounded genuine. And I'm like, man, you could fake that pretty good. Uh, I suppose that anybody who spends a little time every day could probably learn some sort of gibberish. I'll use the term hogwash. Um can learn some kind of gibberish and make it sound like it's genuine. Oh, this is really of God now, okay? So they would say it's the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They would say this is the way that God speaks to the church. They would say, in fact, you know what? Let me, let me while I'm remembering this, let me deal with this right now. The way God speaks to the church. Turn to the, the letter, the epistle of John, what we call 1 John. It's not the gospel of John, 1 John. Uh, first Peter, second Peter, three John, Jude, and Revelation. How many of y'all know that song? Yeah, it's, uh, bring, it's from Bring Them In. It's the books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Acts, Romans, first and second Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Thessalonians. First Timothy, second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, first Peter, second Peter, three John, Jude, and Revelation. Amen. That's how you learn it. Learned that when I was probably seven years old, never forgot it. John chapter, first John chapter one, verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. That's how God speaks to the church. We actually handle the words in our hands. And there's five things here and we have five fingers on our hand, okay? We've handled how God speaks to the church. How God speaks to the church is through the word of God, the written word of God. So anyway, that's their claim. So now... Back in the book of Acts, 
And you can just kind of flip through and make any kind of notes you want to. But here's what I did with the first, the first thing. It's a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, we look in Acts chapter 2. And we find that in verse 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Notice it doesn't say unknown tongues. Doesn't say that, does it? And the Bible means what the Bible says. It's not other tongues. It's not unknown tongues. It's other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we know from this chapter that they were languages that the people from... Um, here we go in verse 10. Uh, well, verse 9, actually, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, Arabians, and New Yorkers. We do and and Washington D.C. because they double talk. <laughs> but anyway, we they we do hear them speak in our tongues. There's no question about it. We hear them speak in our tongues. Not we hear them and we don't know what it is. But we can understand it in our language, which is what some people say. But that's not what the text says. We hear them speak in our tongues. So that was what, un, the, excuse me, there I went, unknown tongues. That's where the, the tongues, that's what they were. They were human languages that people could understand. Remember, I spent all of last night, part of this morning, trying to convince you that God is a God of knowledge and understanding. And if you're saved, if you are really saved and truly born again, and any question that you want to ask God about, if you're willing to wait for the answer, I believe God will show you the answer. He does not speak in mysteries and secrets and things like that to where... Oh, I think that was from God. Well, what did he say? I have no idea. I just don't believe in that. Now, so from Acts chapter 2, we have the 120 in the upper room, and they spake human languages. We're dealing with it. Is it a sign of the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And so in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were saved, and it never ever mentions in Acts chapter 2 that any of them spoke in tongues when they were saved. In fact, um, verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the, in thy name, uh, or uh, of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When does it come? When you repent. Salvation. That's how come that old boy I was talking to you last night, Keith Crum. He got saved in his hospital room. Two days later, they released him. He's walking around with his two sons, Brady and Bradley, the twin boys. And he said, boys, I don't know how to explain this, but I feel like I got somebody living inside of me. And I was there when he got saved and he didn't speak in no tongue. Amen. So anyway, right here, Peter said, repent, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he said, um, 
Verse 41, that they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Didn't say a word about them speaking in tongues. Not one word. Acts chapter 3 doesn't say anything about anybody speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 4, nothing. Acts chapter 5, nothing. Acts chapter 6, not a word is said about anybody being saved and speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 7, not a word about anybody being saved speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 8, not a word was said about anybody being saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 9, nothing. Acts chapter 10 is the very first mention that you have somebody speaking in a tongue that they did not know. So what about all of those people that from Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 8 chapters, of we don't know how much time that covers, but nobody is on record as having spoken in tongues when they got saved. And we know people were saved. In fact, I'll ask you this question. When Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus stood there and blocked his way, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul was called of Jesus to not only be saved, but to preach the gospel. Did Saul speak in tongues then? When he made it into Damascus and the man there that was sent to meet him. God told him, I want you to baptize him because he's going to be a good guy for me. When he water baptized him, did he speak in tongues then? We don't have one word of it, do we? In Acts chapter 10, we have Cornelius. Cornelius and his family was a sign just like in Acts chapter 2. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, tongues are a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And in, and in that case, I believe he was speaking of Israel. So on the day of Pentecost, you have all of these Gentile languages being spoken by the apostles and, and disciples. And the Jews are like, I can't believe this is going on. But it was fulfilling scripture with stammering lips and another tongue. Will he speak to this people? It was fulfilling Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. And so we go all the way now to... Um, uh, who did I say? Cornelius, his house. Peter goes there, preaches the gospel. They all get saved. And then it mentions uh, in verse, chapter 10, verse 46. Uh, For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that they should not be baptized? In other words, they weren't even water baptized. I mean, let's get your doctrine straight here. Do you believe that water baptism brings on the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that water baptism saves you? Cornelius and his house were already saved. They were just going to be water baptized. They were already filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost. Already. But it, and they spoke in not unknown tongues, tongues, languages. And so this is important. Because of what we're going to find in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And so from Romans, then if you go past Acts, from Romans to Revelation. 
There's no mention of tongues being the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, nor is there any mention at all of it being necessary for salvation. It doesn't exist. So where do they get their doctrine? Here's how, here's how some of them do it. Well, Mike, not everything that God does is in the Bible. I love that one. I would say, what verse is that? See, it's not in the Bible, is it? All right, now, here's the way God speaks to the church. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who is his Son? The Word of God. 2 Corinthians 3.10 For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. So what is, the, what is the, the prevailing doctrine in the New Testament? It's the doctrine of knowing what God said, not of not knowing what God said. Okay? Seeing them that we have such, a high, have such hope, we use great plainness of speech and not as Moses, which would avail over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, the second thing is... They believe that it is a secret prayer language and they would use this idea of it being a language of angels. Now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. And they use this verse as why they believe that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Now, here's what you ask. Here's what you ask. In every story in the Bible where an angel showed up, and the angel spoke something. Was it known what they said or unknown what they said? It was known. When Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord answered Jacob back, uh, Jacob understood what he said, didn't he? When Moses was drawn to the burning bush and he saw the angel of the Lord there and he spoke to him, when the angel of the Lord talked back, did he understand what he was saying? When um, Manoah and his wife, when the angel of the Lord appeared to them to tell them they was going to give birth to Samson, that he used to be a Nazarite, did they understand what he said or misunderstood? When the two angels accompanied the Lord to Abraham's house, to tell him about what was going to happen in Sodom. Did Abraham understand? What the, did Sarah understand while she was hiding out in the tent laughing? Of course she did. 
Did the two angels, when they spoke, did, did Lot and his family understand everything they said? Yes. Every word. And I'm, what I'm saying to you is, you, na- you show me a story in the Bible where angels are speaking and people clearly understand what they're saying. Clearly they do. Now, there's an opposite side to this that I'm going to show you because the point of where I'm going with this is going to deal with the UFO issue. There was a man by the name of John D. He was uh, Elizabeth I's, one of, her, one of her counselors, not the recent Elizabeth, but Elizabeth I. And he was an occultist. He claimed to believe in the traditional trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, but also believed in a fourth supreme being called Galva, the mother. Name a church that believes in the trinity, but also believes in a mother. Who said, who did that? (laughs) Heathen Steve over here going, Catholics, (laughs) Galva the mother, uh, that I am, the I am, or Shekinah, who's ever heard that phrase, Shekinah, oh the Shekinah glory came down, no it's not going to happen here, not under my watch, Shekinah is God's consort, God's wife, okay, Galva, the mother, the I am, or Shekinah in Kabbalah, Sophia in Greek, Gnosticism, and Shakti in Hindu in theology, the sacred feminine. That's what he believed in. And so John Dee was taught a language uh, that was called Enochian language, or the language of angels, because um, this is part of the, the characters that he was shown And John Dee attempted during his life uh, to try to decipher and understand the language of angels. Because that's what he was told. An angel told him that they have a secret language that God has given them. And they also said that God gave Adam that secret language. And that that's how Adam named all the animals. And Adam was used to create different things and so on. They, they believe that Adam actually created the animals on the earth when he spoke their name. And do you know that Jesse Duplantis believes the exact same thing? That God gave Adam this power in his tongue that when he called upon uh, uh, Adam to name all of the animals... They didn't exist until Adam named them and they just magically disappeared because of the creative power of his words. And John Dee said that was a language of angels. It's the language that angels speak and that they all know and we don't know it. But if we did know it, then we would have the ability to create whatever we wanted whenever we wanted it. In other words, if you you knew the, the tongue of angels then you could speak a million dollars into your account and you would have a million dollars in your bank account. We used to tease Sterling. We used to hang drywall together. And Sterling always had this idea, when you're, especially when you're holding drywall up above your head with your arms, 
Now that you've got it up there, you've got to reach for a nail in this pouch and put it up there, and you've got to reach for your hammer and with this hand. And Sterling always said, God should have put us a, uh, an arm right here in the middle of our chest to hold that up while we get this. We always teased him about that. So, Sterling, if you had this language, all you'd have to do is say, I need an arm! Now, there are cases where I believe that glossolalia, remember what that word means, glossolalia means that you have the ability to speak in a tongue that is not known by anybody. Xenolalia is you can speak in a language not previously known to yourself, but it is a language known here on the earth. In other words, you could find yourself, as Philip did, transported to a place, and God wants you to preach to them, and God would give you the language instantly, that as you spake, you spake in their language, and God would use that to save those people. And then when God's done with you, you get a free trip, about 50 miles away. I did the math on it. We're talking about Philip. Now turn your Bible to Genesis 11. Let's move this along because man, I ain't even got to the, I ain't got to the good stuff yet. Genesis chapter 11. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Whole earth I believe in this idea called Pangea, although it's not really in the Bible, but it, I think the Bible alludes to it. I think there was one giant land surface, land mass on the earth. The rest of the earth was water. And the, so the whole earth, the dry land, and everybody that lived on it all spoke the same language and they had the same speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, which we, the uh, people now, the archaeologists and so on, they call it Sumeria, the land of Sumer or Sumeria. The Bible term for that is Shinar, and they dwelt there. So, verse 3, and they said one to another, let go to, let us make us brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Slime is tar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto where? Heaven. Is, when we lead somebody or try to lead somebody to the Lord, Matt, do we tell them, hey, we want you to be saved so that you can live forever in this earth down here? Is that what we tell them? We tell them we want to see them in heaven. Amen? Well, that was the goal here at, at Babel. But they were far, far short of their goal. They didn't realize just how what we have it, we know it now. The vastness of the universe. We've got an idea because of the Hubble telescope, the James Webb telescope, telling us that their theory that the universe was, uh, came to be about 13 billion years ago, and now they're with the, the James Webb telescope looking at galaxies that they say are 13 plus billion light years away that shouldn't exist. They shouldn't be there because they wouldn't look that way if they were just made by the Big Bang. So now they're having to adjust their theories of how the universe got here. It's just easier for to say God made the heaven and the earth. Amen. 
They said one to another, anyway, let us build the city on a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And I submit to you, mankind has it written into him to go higher and higher and higher and higher. The Wright brothers got us off the ground. NASA got us up above the air into the second heaven. Apollo 11 made it all the way to the moon and back. That's pretty high, isn't it? How far is it to the moon? Does anybody know? About 250,000 miles. Okay. And I think they were traveling like 25,000 miles an hour. You can get a space ticket for that. Okay. But it, do what? Space cops, yeah. Um, but anyway, look at this. You know what that is? That's a tower whose top may reach where? Into heaven. Do you know what the Hebrew word is for to lift something into the air? Nasa. Strong's Concordance. Look it up. Okay. What is this? Space station, right? It's a city in the heavens. Because by treaty, it falls under international treaties. The United States doesn't own it. Russia doesn't own it. China doesn't own it. No nation actually owns the entire thing. By treaty, it was put together and is under a completely different jurisdiction than anything down here on the earth is. That constitutes a city. It doesn't have a very many inhabitants, but they live up there, don't they? So we're getting farther and farther away from our home planet. What, and I saw an article the other day that uh, talked about how, how is it possible that man could live in the heavens in other places. And the article, of course, said, yeah. There was a movie came out called Elysium. And it pictures this idea that uh, there was a city in space and uh, it was only for the wealthy. It was only for the elite. It got them off of the planet Earth, which was overpopulated and people were dying of disease all the time. And the hero of the movie is able to ascend up above the heights of the clouds because he carries with him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You get what I'm saying? They're in his brain, but he must sacrifice himself in order for mankind to be part of this kingdom of heaven. And he's carrying this computer code that when it's put into the operating system that keeps this city going, it changes so that everybody on earth now is also a citizen of heaven. Though we were an angel from heaven, bring you any other gospel, let him be accursed. Okay? Jeff Bezos... Uh, what is, um, oh, what's his name? The guy that owned PayPal. 
the dragon. Elon Musk. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are working for ways to build cities and pods and things like that that will allow man to live in space long term. My theory is, is that the, the elite, the rich, the kings, the people of power of the earth believe that they can hide away from the wrath that God is surely going to pour out on this earth. That God says, just because they went up, I'm going to bring them back down. Amen? And so here's different views of that. So in Genesis 11, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they've imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of the city called Babylon. That's why it's called that. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now here's my point in bringing this verse up. Is speaking in a language that no one can understand what you're saying is that a blessing from God or a curse from God? It's a curse. Because what God did was, he said, I'm going to put a stop to man's efforts and I'm going to bust him up. I'm going to split him up by language. And um, when I go to Kenya, even though they speak English, they usually use, and it took me a while to figure this out, but they use an interpreter because my accent is not readily understood by them. They're not used to hearing how I say my words, even though they're English. And so when God confused those things, he did a good job of it, didn't he? Okay, so keep in mind, tongues are not a blessing. Their curse goes all the way back to Babel. Um, so let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Man, I'm not even going to get through this. Let's see how far I got to go. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14, 27. I want to zip through this. Um, I told Brother Anil that I would give him time before lunch and I want to honor that. He's going to talk briefly about uh, the mission to Pakistan and so on. And he was here, him and his family were here last year and just had just a sweet spirit about him. And I, God laid him on, on my heart this year uh, to have him come back and just share what God is doing with them and how God is moving. 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three. And that by course. So how many people have to speak the unknown tongue? Not the other tongue, but the unknown tongue. Two. Or at the most, three. And then let one interpret or one translate what was said. 
So uh, you've heard me use this in the illustration of the Bible. We have Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew as the three primary languages of the Bible that it was originally written in. But we have one translation and only one translation. I believe the Bible here is telling you you're out of order. When the preacher says, I believe that we should look at all the translations to find, find out what God is saying. What if God is contradicting himself by all these other Bibles? And God does not contradict himself, does he? Absolutely not. So now, um, we know that on the day of Pentecost, they spoke human languages. Okay? And we also know, according to Revelation 7, that... The people who are surrounding the throne are of all nations and kindreds and peoples and what? Tongues. So do you have to speak Greek and Hebrew to go to heaven? No. Do you have to understand it to go to heaven? No. God clearly gave you your Bible written in an other tongue, didn't he? And the other tongue is English. And English was for the past four or five hundred years and is still now one of the dominant languages of the earth. Probably second, maybe second to Spanish. But this is what God gave us. And so this is all I need right here. Amen. If I want to hear from God, I'm going to open this book up and I'm going to read it and I'm going to let God tell me some things. Maybe he'll tell me some things I don't want to hear, but that I need them. Amen. And so it doesn't matter what language you speak. If God wants you in heaven, he's going to find a way in your language to give you the, the word of God so you can be saved. I believe that with all my heart. I don't question, I don't ask stupid questions like, well, what about all these people live in the Amazon jungle? How can they be saved? Listen, if one of them cried out unto the Lord, I think God has sent angels and missionaries all over the place to witness that person. So I just don't ask stupid questions like that. Now, if you asked them, I'm not saying you're stupid. Uh, now, Deuteronomy 28, here we go. Here we go. Deuteronomy 28 starts out, God saying, if you keep all my statutes, my judgments, all of them, all of them, God said. Meaning, not most of them, but all of them. God is a perfectionist, is he not? When he sent his son to be our savior, did he send a perfect lamb? When God sends us his word, does he send us his perfect word? God has a very high standard of what he calls perfection. That means there cannot be anything wrong with it at all. And I, I won't get into that. But anyway, so for obeying everything that God said, God said, I'll bless your cattle, I'll bless you in the field, I'll bless you in your stores, I'll bless everything about you, I'll bless your children, I'll bless your families, you're coming in, you're going out, I'll bless everything that you do but he said if you do not keep all of my commandments my statutes my judgments 
I'm going to get you for it. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, you can write that down. They seem to go together because they're both describing what God will do for people who think they can get by with keeping part of what God said, but they don't have to do the rest of it. So one of the things God said that really got my attention was in verse 49, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far. Now, while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? And I, I am positive that I will probably get, if I pursue this, I'll probably get some resistance, okay? But is there anything that you are aware of in God's word that prohibits God from having another race or another nation that lives someplace in the second heaven. The second heaven is space and outer space. Can you think of any place in the Bible and as this is a question, I, I'm not saying I know the answer. But it's a question that I want to know the answer to. And you, listen, you guys have helped me in more than one way. By saying some of the things you said to me. Pastor, I don't agree with you on this. I don't agree with you on that. Well, tell me why. And they tell me why. And I you know what? Let me think about that. But we've heard it for years. I've heard it from preachers that oh, I don't believe in them UFOs. There ain't no other people living on some other planet somewhere out in the stars somewhere. That's against the Bible. I've heard things like that. The only problem is I've never heard anybody that I can remember actually take me to the place in the Bible that says that God doesn't have a race and when I say race, I'm talking about a type of a people, a nation of people. Because God clearly, in the scriptures, talks about, I'm going to bring a nation from afar. From the end of heaven will they come. Where's the end of heaven? Yeah, well, yeah, it surely isn't, you know, somewhere where Southwest Airlines flies. Thank God. Yes, sir. Huh? You know what? I'm working on that. There are religions whose one of their main doctrines is the idea that our God lives on a planet somewhere. And Mormons aren't the only one. But they are one. They say that, that God lives on a planet uh, called Kolob. And they even have a hymn called, Would You Hide to Kolob? The word high is an old term that they use. Would you hurry to Kolob? In other words, would you uh, race to Kolob like a man would race to heaven? 
because they believe that when you live this perfect Mormon life with your perfect Mormon wife, that you're going to have perfect Mormon babies and you could go to Kolob and you can become a god and God will then send you to another planet. They believe that God is sending people to visit our earth from other planets. And so it's a natural for Mormons to look up in the sky and see UFOs and say, that's, that's God. That's God sending them to us. That's the people from Kolob that God promised. You, who remembers the show Battlestar Galactica? It was written by Mormons. It was produced by a Mormon guy who talked about this, these people. Their, their world was taken over and they had to leave their planet. And the leader was Adama, Adam. And they had an arch enemy, a robot named Lucifer, that was chasing them as they looked for a new planet called Earth to live on. That's what the whole show was about. Anyway. But look at this. A nation from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not, what? So what does that tell you? A spirit taking control of you, causing you to speak a language that you don't know. What does that tell you? A nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard, shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle. Who said cattle mutilations? Thank you. You know what? A lot of people have testified that have actually witnessed that. That the cow was drained of all of its blood. That's what I'm going to talk about this afternoon. He shall eat of the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind or flocks of thy sheep until he have destroyed thee. Jeremiah 5.15, Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far. O house of... How far? Far. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation. A nation whose language thou knowest not. Neither understandest what they say. Which right now in this world is nearly impossible. Because we now have programs available to translate practically any language in the world. They now have little things that you can wear in your ear with a little microcomputer that connects to it via Bluetooth that listens to someone speak in Japanese and translates it for you and you hear them in your ear in English. And then when you speak back to them, it comes out of a speaker to the person who speaks Japanese, translated into Japanese for them. So, so is there a language on this earth that, no, that nobody knows and nobody ever will know? No. But it's going to come with this nation of people. Daniel 8, 23, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And uh, we mentioned Apollo in Sunday school class here a while back. The temple of Apollo had what was called the Oracle of Delphi in it. And the Oracle of Delphi was basically a woman priestess who, if you paid the money and you asked one of the uh, subordinates, 
I want to know if my crops are going to do well in this new field that I bought and you paid the amount of money required. She would go into the oracle. She would sit there. This fog would come over her and a spirit would come over her. She would speak in an unknown tongue. This tongue then would be translated by her four virgin uh, women attendees. All of these women were, were virgins. And these four women would translate what it was that she said that the God Apollo spoke through her in his language. And it would tell people, yeah, go ahead and plant your crops there. It's going to be a good year next year and so on. And that's how people got their words of knowledge and wisdom from was going to a goddess or a woman, a priestess, and having her speak in an unknown tongue that no one understood, and yet these four other women could understand it perfectly. Okay, and we're talking about paganism. We're talking about Satanism. That's Satanism. Here's a book called, Josh, you probably saw this one, The Fairy Way. Fairies are particularly associated with twilight. They frequently appear at twilight. They speak a mysterious, non-rational twilight language, which can only be understood through the operation of another mode of knowing. Like fairies, they are between creatures, appearing and disappearing in the mysterious radiance of another world. According to Wikipedia, twilight language is a secret language that even the greatest gurus cannot unriddle. This means that the text of the Buddhist Tantra cannot be understood. They speak a language that nobody can understand. Okay, uh, Light language. They call it light language. Many who received the gift of speaking in tongues, tongues of angels, when they were in a religious setting, have recently realized the validity of this communication with higher realms of consciousness. And what I'm saying, showing you is that it's not limited to so-called Christianity. It's in other cults as well. This idea that you are taken over by a spirit and you are speaking in an unknown tongue does not in any way prove that you are born again. Amen. Uh, let's see here. I don't want to go into that. Now, very quickly, I'm going to give you some examples that connect it with the whole UFO thing. Dr. Stephen Greer, he's the one that is one of the main leaders behind getting the government to admit that they have retrieved, crashed UFOs. They have found bodies in these UFOs. I'm going to talk about that this afternoon. Greer said this in his book. While still in this state, asleep, I continued to have some kind of ongoing dialogue with these extraterrestrial beings. My roommate told me quite some time later that for a number of months he would awaken late at night and would hear me speaking quietly in my sleep. He said, you were speaking, but with a language not of this world. And I thought, oh my God. Somehow I was in a state of consciousness where I could connect to the language used by the Eli. The aliens that he was in contact with were called the Eli. What word is that? It's the Hebrew word for God. El. And he was hearing that very clearly. He said, absolutely, it was not an earth language. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to do that right now. 
I've got a video to show you of at least two people who are taken over by a spirit on camera and speaking in an unknown, quote-unquote, alien tongue. And nobody knows what they're saying, okay? Nobody does. 